This is Tobias Grave from Softkill, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode. And I've got with me today, returning guest in the guest co-hosting chair, Tara Mayer from The End of the Ocean. Tara, welcome back to the show. What's up, dude? It's great to have you here. It's been a long time. It's been over, wait, it's been like over a year. You were on the show back in Northeast Scene days. Yeah, yeah. Which honestly feels like yesterday. Uh, How have you been? How's everything going? You know, pretty good. Pretty fucking good. What's going on with you? Well, last time we talked, I think I was still bartending. I am no longer bartending. I'm working from home, uh, which has its own set of difficulties. As I'm learning not to be out and about as much anymore, I'm I, I'm a, by myself quite a bit. But it's been it's been really wonderful, kind of getting reacquainted with myself. So yeah, it, it's been good. It's been really good. That's excellent. Yeah, I've been working from home fully since 2019. I love it. I'm never going back to any other way of doing things. Dude, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Being home is awesome. It is. It is. Until you really start talking to the cat a lot and you're just like, what am I doing? (laughs) Oh, man. I've had full-on conversations with cats. And you know what? I'm not ashamed. (laughs) (laughs) I I still feel ashamed, but you know, that's okay. I'll get past it. That's okay. You'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. But look, we've got a great show for you today. On the show, Jolie Lindholm from The Darling Fire. They've got an amazing new record out called Distortions. I hope you've heard the singles. I hope you're picking up the album. It's out this week on Iodine Recordings. And of course, you know Jolie from Rocking Horse Winner as well. And we cover it all. We cover Rocking Horse Winner. We cover her early collaborations with Chris Caraba. And of course, we cover The Darling Fire and the inspiration behind the new album, working with Jay Robbins, everything, everything. That conversation is coming up in a minute. They're going to love it. Right, Tara? Hell yeah. Hell yes. Hell <laughs> yes. It's going to be good. So before we move on, I need to ask for your support. You, our dear listeners, and I'm going to ask for the same two things I've been asking for. Number one is Apple Podcast Reviews. We are up to 95, I think, 95 We need 100 Apple Podcast reviews. So if you're listening to the show right at this moment and you have not given us a five-star review, open up your Apple Podcast application, hit the five-star button, just do it. It only takes a second. It doesn't hurt you. It helps me. We benefit all around. Thank you so much to everybody who has submitted a review. I'm going to read one of those right now. Now, this one we got emailed to us, but it's a really nice review from a longtime listener, Simon. So check this out. Hey, Keith, I figured I'd write to you with a well-overdue review of the podcast. I know how much you enjoy reading these, and I haven't formally announced myself as a member yet. Recently completed episode 80 of the Northeast Scene podcast. I say it like this because in my reality, I've not actually caught up with current events. I'm still living in the past before the show signed to Iodine Recordings. Now, Tara, Simon has been listening to the podcast from the beginning. So he's not even up to the iodine episodes yet. Yeah, it's wild. I'm just happy that someone's listening to it from the beginning. That makes me feel good. 
<laughs> as it should. Yeah. So uh, Simon continues, it's been quite a journey, literally, as I play the podcast on my drive to work every day. Getting to know Keith and Tommy has been entertaining and inspiring, and it's hard not to get wrapped up in emotion at times. Their honesty pours through in relation to the pandemic, home life relationships, and life experience. Over this last year especially, the guests on the podcast have brought even more music to my attention, and my ever-growing vinyl collection has expanded quite dramatically as a result. I look forward to many more hours spent in these conversations. By now, I know Keith's favorite game of all time, Final Fantasy VII, and where Tommy buys his polo shirts, Costco, because he's constantly trying to find ways to save money. (laughs) Boy, he really does know know the show. Simon, I appreciate you. Thank you for your support, and uh, thank you for the night's review. And we have shirts available at Deathwish Inc. Go to Deathwish Inc., search the new scene, shirts will pop right up. Buy one, wear it to Furnace Fest. I'm going to join me. Join me. Let's get a new scene shirt crew going. We could take over the whole fest. And don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. The Darling Fire will be performing at Furnace Fest Friday at noon. Check them out. Records out. Make sure you pick it up. There's always great stuff happening at Iodine. Check them out on Instagram at Iodine Recordings or at their website, iodinerecords.com. Okay. So, Tara. Let's talk about some music recommendations. What are we listening to? It can be old. It can be new. Let's start with you. Ooh, that's tough. Okay. Um, well, I mean, my brain gets really fixated on uh, certain lyrics or certain hooks really obsessively. Honestly, lately, I've been listening to um, a singular song by Sidney Bechet. Um, I believe it's called Lazy River. So that's a little bit of jazz. I think it's New Orleans jazz, actually. A lot of Gunship. Uh, Gunship is more of like an electronic band. Um, I believe they're British, but they're one song. There's one song that has the, the saxophonist from um, who actually used to go on tour with Tina Turner that did like a guest spot for this song that I really love. And also Jimmy Buffett, which is nice. kind of embarrassing because I actually never listened to Jimmy Buffett until like the last couple of weeks. So what changed? How did you start listening to Jimmy Buffett? Um, you know, I was reading, I was reading, um, I have a favorite author, Jonathan Ames. He's really embarrassing as far as like kind of humiliating himself and talking about his life experiences. And, um, just this past week in particular, I reread his graphic novel, the alcoholic, and he's talking about trying to get over an ex and just the strife that he's going through And, um, his great aunt is telling him, let it go. And he's waiting for this phone call. This is like back when we had landlines. So he's waiting for this phone call from this, this ex that he can't get over. And she says, I think that one old man in that, in that song said, if the phone doesn't ring, it's me. So maybe just consider that. (laughs) Wow. And that one line, um, didn't really heal him, but it was just kind of a reoccurring thing in the graphic novel for him where, if the phone doesn't ring, it's me. And he's referring obviously to his ex. So I, I thought that was really beautiful. And then I listened to the song and the song honestly is not as beautiful as I thought it was going to be, but I still really enjoyed it. So <laughs> I really like that. If the phone doesn't ring, it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that. Oh yeah. It's a great line. <laughs> Heartbreaking. <laughs> it really is. Uh, let's see. I've been listening to Glassing. Now, Tara, you're going to be performing with Glassing and a bunch of other bands 
at PostFest coming up this weekend, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But Glassing has two new singles out, Dyer and Sulk. Amazing, amazing band. They continue to put out good material, and I got to see them live for the first time since 2019. Just the other night, they played at St. Vitus with Lesser Glow and other bands who I forget the name of, but I really liked all the bands that I saw. And Glassing just put on an incredible live show. I got to meet Corey, the guitar player, in person. He's been on this show a number of times, both as a guest and to be guest co-host. Really great band, really great people, really great music. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Keith, can I ask you, what do you like so much about their live show? They're a three-piece, but they don't sound like it. They've got, like, I was just staring at Corey's guitar setup. He's got these two Emperor cabs and this giant guitar head in a metal case like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, They're energetic. They're huge sounding. They've got it all. They've got it all. That's awesome. I've, I've never seen them live, so that just makes me look forward to that. Highly recommend checking them out at the fest if you're able to. Hell yeah. Okay, so check back in with me and Tara after the interview. I'm going to ask Tara how she's doing. I'm going to see what's going on with End of the Ocean. We're going to talk about post-fest. We're going to talk about everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Jolie Lindholm of The Darling Fire. Enjoy. Right. We're here now with Jolie Lindholm. Jolie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, Jolie, I have been anticipating this conversation. You know, The Darling Fire has a new LP coming out, Distortions. And since I am part of the Iodine family, I, I have had the opportunity to hear in advance of the record. I really love it. I'm really excited for the band. I think this is the fully formed vision of the band. I'm excited for the rest of the world to hear it. And beyond the Darling Fire, I mean, you've had a pretty storied music career in life. And we're going to get to all that. But let me start with something easy. Jolie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. <laughs> pretty good. Couldn't, uh, nothing really happened today that was very eventful. But uh, just looking forward to this interview and um, looking forward to talking to you today. 
But yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, those uneventful days. I I like those a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can't ask for anything else, really. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you based out of these days? Um, So I'm in South Florida and um, in a town called uh, Port St. Lucie. And um, it's pretty quiet here, I guess you could say, pretty laid back. And I've been in Florida for a very long time now. So I've lived all over Florida at this point, (laughs) pretty much. How long have you been there? You uh, you were originally from Long Island, correct? Yes. Uh, I've actually lived here, I think, more of my life now at this point. But um, I moved here in 94 for college, and I never left. Wow. So you must really like it. Yeah, I do. Um, but I have one foot out of Florida at all times, basically, <laughs> looking <laughs> to move somewhere else um, always. But yeah, I do like it here. I mean, I've been here for a long time now, so it's, you know... It's more home to me now than New York is, but I do miss New York as well sometimes. So, Do you ever get back to New York? Do you have family here still? Um, actually, my family in New York all relocated to Florida after I did. So <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have uh, really any family left in New York, but I do go there occasionally. Usually, you know, it has something to do with music, um, yeah. you know, playing a show or something, but that that's really the only time that I get to go back there. Um, but yeah, I don't have any family left there anymore, actually. So they all followed suit with you. That's nice, right? Or do you not want them there? (laughs) No, no, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, my aunt and uncle moved here and my parents moved here and my, my sister moved down here. And, um, yeah, so no, it's good to have them close. Definitely. I've been in New York City since 2012. Now I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. I guess I've lived in New York City longer than I lived in the city of Philadelphia now. So that's something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love the city. I used to actually take the train in from Long Island all the time when I was a kid. So (laughs) I miss that a lot. It never gets old. I have to say, like sometimes I'll be walking around Manhattan, just looking around and I'm like, I live here. Well, I, I mean, I live in Brooklyn, but like I live here as in I live in this city. This is weird. Yeah, that's awesome. I I used to love going there and people watching and just, you know, I just I really miss the whole experience even of taking the train. It was like a two hour ride in actually. And yeah. um, <laughs> and I miss that a lot. Um, it's not it, there's nothing like New York City for me that I've experienced actually. Not at all. You said you had one foot out of Florida all the time. Why is that? Where where else are you looking to move potentially and why? <laughs> well, I, I guess I can blame my husband for that mainly, uh, the guitar player for Darling Fire. Um, he always wants to leave Florida. He's lived here m- more than I, longer than I have. And I think we just are looking for new scenery. You know, um, I miss the seasons a lot, actually. Um, it's pretty much the same in Florida all the time. It's always hot and humid (laughs) with occasional dips in temperature, but mostly it's hot and humid. Um, So I think I just miss, you know, having the seasons and just uh, having some more texture. It's pretty flat in Florida also, (laughs) at least where we we live. So that's probably why, you know, um, it's, there are some interesting places here as well, but I just really uh, I think I'm done here, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I am a child of the Northeast. Fall is my favorite season. I need to experience 
the punishing winters and the, <laughs> the beautiful change of season from summer to fall and the punishing summer. So yeah, basically fall and spring are the only good seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely miss, uh, I think spring in New York was one of my favorite times because of the temperature. I lo- my favorite temperature is like in the mid seventies, maybe around there. Um, Same. Yeah. So I've, that's what I really miss. I mean, it's just always hot here or it gets cold. And it's like, because my blood is so thin now, it's like, if it gets cold, I'm freezing here. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I definitely, that's one of the things, I mean, I really loved fall and spring also. And I agree the, the winters are punishing. They were like probably half the year is the winter, um, (laughs) in New York. So, so yeah. But I I have found that, uh, Summer is worse than winter now because winter. I, I like winter fashion a lot better. Yeah, I can easily control how cold or warm I am by the addition or removal of jackets and other layers. But when it's ninety, ninety-five, a hundred degrees out, you can't do anything. You're just trapped inside. Yeah, that's the main thing. You can add layers, but you can't take your skin off. So it's like, how much, (laughs) how much can you do when, when you're like sweating all day, you know? So yeah, totally agree with that. (laughs) So you moved down there for college and clearly you got involved in the music scene down there with the bands you've been involved with and everybody that you know down there. But I mean, have you always been interested in music? Could you always sing? Tell us your history with that. Yeah. So I always sang, I mean, since I was very little, I mean, I just found like a cassette of me, like just making up songs or something like that. And, uh, and there's also a, a tape of me when I was very little, I think I was like three or something that I have where, um, my parents were recording me with this little like tape recorder that they had and, um, where I was singing like hollow notes to them. And, <laughs> So I've always been singing since I was little. My parents always had music in the house. Um, you know, they would blast 70s rock and the Beatles and classical music. And and then like in the 90s when Nirvana, you know, released their first album or, or actually it wasn't the first album. My mom was the one who bought that and brought it home and would play that in the house. And so I've always been around music and I've always loved to sing to it. Um, as far as like getting involved in it professionally, I didn't really even consider that when I was younger at all. So I just kind of ended up falling into it when I met people during college, actually. When you were growing up and singing and recording yourself and all this, did anyone ever say to you, hey, your voice is really great? Because I mean, it is like you can really, really sing. Oh, thank you. Um, I, You know what? I I actually tried to get into this um, group in high school, or actually it was middle school, I guess. Um, but it was connected with chorus. So I didn't get in because I wasn't, I didn't, uh, belong, I wasn't a member of, uh, the group of chorus. Like I didn't really follow the traditional way of getting into this certain group, which was called the quarter tones. Um, but yeah. they, you know, he rated me an eight out of 10 or something. And, but he said, I'm sorry, you can't be part of this because you're not in chorus. <laughs> and I think after that, I just kind of like just kept myself with it. I didn't really like pursue it at all singing. Um, and I didn't ever, you know, I didn't actually take any kind of vocal lessons until the second album with Rockin' Earth Winter, my old album, uh, my old band. And um, that was just to like get through that 
album basically, but I didn't really, I don't know, for some reason, I, nobody really said to me like, you should pursue this or anything like that. I mean, um, my mom always sang in the house, my sister also. And, um, but it wasn't something that was like focused on really for whatever reason. So, <laughs> so I didn't really have that kind of like push from anybody to do it. So I didn't really do it myself. And I guess I was pretty like shy in school when I was younger. Um, so it wasn't something where I would like, you know, just go out and do that on my own, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I was super shy too. So I didn't have this super outward, passionate drive to just go out there and do things necessarily. But when I got a little older, I took the initiative. I was like, I have to learn to play bass. I have to do whatever I, I can to get into a band because that's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I didn't really even think like, I want to be in a band or anything like that. It wasn't like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I definitely, it, it just kind of happened that way um, when I got older, you know, but yeah, I didn't really, it wasn't something that I considered like pursuing at, when I was younger for whatever reason. Well, you don't know until you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just like, it, I, I'm glad it happened the way it did because I probably wouldn't have left my comfort zone to do that. So you're in South Florida now. Did you get involved with the local scene down there? Tell the story of how you kind of fell into this whole thing. Sure. So, um, in New York, like I would, well, I would still go kind of back and forth between Florida and New York when I was in college. Uh, because my parents mm -hmm. still lived in New York. So I would go like on the summer break and any breaks that we had, I would go home to Long Island. And um, I had friends there and we would go to shows in the city and there was like a thriving scene there at the time. So I would, like, I remember seeing Quicksand and um, also Glassjaw, Silent Majority. And I saw H2O actually at this there was this club. I don't know if you would remember this, but there was like this Gothic church and I think it was called lithium. And, um, when there would be shows there and, and then I would come back to Florida. And then of course that scene was like blowing up. So, um, at some point, and it's like hard for me to remember the exact timeline, but at some point, um, I ended up singing with, uh, Chris Caraba's early band, Vacant Andes, just doing like a cover song. And recording mm -hmm. that with them. And that's basically what kind of started it all. Th that's the main thing that I remember that happened first, basically. By the way, that club, Lithium, if it's if it's the same place I'm thinking of, I've been to a really good show there before. It was like a Revelation Records showcase, I think. I walk by that building all the time, like the building where that place used to be. Yeah. Katz's is two blocks away. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know Katz's existed back then. Yeah, that's also, I, I still can remember that club. It was like, or whatever, it was like a, it looked like to me a Gothic church or something, I think. And it had like this uh, winding metal staircase on the right side when you walked in or something. I can still visualize it. I think the stage was like to the left or something when you walked in. So I can still picture that. But yeah, it was a really cool place to uh, go to shows, definitely. So you're in Florida, you end up doing backups for vacant andes how did that come about because you weren't really out there performing and you said you were kind of shy like how did you 
end up putting vocals down on on those tracks. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I can't remember exactly. I think maybe I must have been like singing in front of my roommate at the time or something. And she must have told them like, you should, you know, see what if she can do this. I don't know. I can't remember like exactly what happened. But um, I did know Chris from school a little bit. And I met those guys like because of the school that I was going to. Um, and, uh, and then it just, yeah. And then that just happened and we recorded, um, I did the part, the backup part basically on the song and we recorded, uh, at James Wisner's apartment. He had this apartment, um, where he was recording bands at the time. And, um, I, re- I still can remember getting into the, you know, walking into this little closet that he had made for a vocal booth and just doing these backup parts. And then every time, you know, they would play, if I was at the show or whatever, I would anticipate that they were going to make me come up on stage (laughs) and (laughs) sing with them. And I would be nervously awaiting that moment. (laughs) And uh, I was, you know, terrified at the time, actually. Um, But I would do that anytime that I was at the show, they would call me up at, at that moment. So that was my first experience, like really doing anything live too. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it's definitely the first thing that I really, the first time that I really started doing that, you know, in a professional way of any kind. It's funny that it kind of happened on accident too. Like it's like a whisper down the lane thing. Hey, you should get Jolie to do it. And then they end up contacting you because people put themselves out there and grind and they're like, I have to do this. And you weren't even really thinking about it. And then you just end up recording and performing. Yeah, I know. It's weird how it all (laughs) happened that way. (laughs) But I think that's the only way it could have happened because I wasn't like, you know, it would have been out of my comfort zone. You know, like I said, I was terrified. So I had huge stage fright. And it's not something that I would have done if I hadn't been kind of like, if I hadn't felt like I was kind of pushed somehow into doing this, you know, so it's cool how it happened that way. So now you're a recording artist, you're performing live with this band. Do you get the bug? Or are you like, this is something I really need to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, after the run we just did with Anthony Green, I'm I'm like chomping at the bit to get out again and play live. Like I can't wait for Furnace Fest. I'm, now I'm like, I have to do it. <laughs> so yeah, totally. That's great. Yeah. How was how were those shows with uh, Anthony? He's an old friend of mine. I grew up with him and all of his bandmates and everything. How was that? Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was so much fun. He was really nice to us. You know, um, the crowds were awesome. They really embraced us, even though it was like a, a big contrast um, as far as like the music goes, you know, with the his quiet um, solo project and then us being like extremely aggr- loud and aggressive comparatively. Um, yeah, <laughs> but they really embraced it and we had an awesome time. Everybody was, you know, had a, I think the audience had fun and, um, yeah, it was like, I wish we could have kept going. Um, I was kind of sad for it to end, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. Definitely. That's great. And, you know, I talk about this with a lot of artists on the show, you know, shows just used to be much more diverse. You'd have heavier bands, you'd have lighter bands, you'd have a more interesting mix of things rather than everything sectioned off into different genres. And I want to bring that back. I want to have more Anthony Green slash Darling Fire type shows where there's no rules. We just have bands that we like, and it doesn't matter what they sound like. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I grew up listening to all 
different kinds of music and I'm not like, I don't only listen to one genre. Like I can put yeah. on Beethoven and, and have like a certain feeling and then, and then I can listen to like, you know, something completely opposite and, you know, have a totally different feeling. So I agree. I mean, I can listen to all different things and, um, I do have, you know, a, a taste though. I mean, I, there are things that I don't like obviously, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I think having that like kind of diverse show gives somebody, gives everybody something. So yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it'd be good to have that again because we definitely had that. You know, my and my drummer calls it like a variety show. That's we yeah. definitely had that back then. It was like you could have an acoustic band and then you could have a hardcore band. It didn't matter. It was like, you know, that's just how it was. We didn't really care about that. You know, to have a punk band on there too, like it didn't matter. You know, it was all it was all considered like the same kind of thing. Yeah, it was the community, and everybody in the community is in different types of bands, and everyone would just play together. We need more of that. Yeah, totally. And that was the thing. Like, we were friends with bands that, like, our band was quiet back then and or softer, but we still played with, like, hardcore bands and heavy bands, and we were friends with heavy bands, and they, like, you know, we all supported each other. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. oh, that's your scene and mine's over here. You know, it wasn't like there was, like, all one big scene, you know? So yeah, totally. I agree with that. Now, um, jumping back in time into Florida, you've recorded with the vacant Andes. You're performing with them sometimes. What happens next? Do you say, I need to put a band together or I want to join a band? Like where, where are you at with it at that time? Still, believe it or not, I wasn't really like looking for that. Um, but again, it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like ridiculous, but, um, so I think like, I think Rocking Horse, uh, with Rocking Horse, they heard my vocal on that Bacon Andes somehow. I don't know how they heard it, um, but that's what I was told. And they they kind of had something going already, but they were still looking for for a singer. So and it didn't the band didn't have a name, but they heard that recording that I did, and they asked me to try out, and um, and I did, and then it just kind of like went from there. Um, but I wasn't like, oh, I have to. I have to put a band together now. Who can I get? You know, I just was kind of like fortunate enough to be around musicians and just lucky enough that I was picked to do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically, you know, and then of course the dashboard confessional, like the first uh, two albums I, you know, sang with Chris on those. And um, that happened kind of like around the same time, the first album. And that was again, like, do you want to sing on this? And we would get together and just work on some backup parts. And, um, and that's how that happened too. So it was just like, I happened to be here and around those guys and, um, knew them. And so it just kind of worked out that way. Yeah. I saw, you know, reading about all the bands, it was like the South Florida scene of the time and all the names that I saw, like, uh, members of Shy Halud and As Friends Rust, and you've got Chris down there, you've got you. It's like a, it seems like everybody was kind of involved in different things, but together in some way. Yeah, totally. And like we had some, you know, people would share members sometimes, like, you know, Steve, our drummer was in Shy Halud, but he also filled in for us uh, for Rocking Horse on a tour because uh, our drummer got sick. So he ended up filling in for us at the last minute. And so things like that would happen. Like we would share. And then also, you know, Oliver from Shai Hlud was in Rocking Horse at one point. 
Um, so we kind of like shared members sometimes, things like that. It's just what we did, I guess. <laughs> I guess every scene is like that, you know, like everybody's in every band. My scene was like that. Yeah. It's like, it didn't, you know, it, it was just like a big community, you know? And um, yeah. just reading about it from a different scene. I'm like, Ooh, that's cool. It's like as friends, Russ, shy, Halud, rocking horse, winner, dashboard, confessional further seems forever. I'm like, wow, they had the same thing going on. We did. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was definitely like just a big community and everybody supported each other. And it was a really cool time. Definitely. I, I missed that time. It was really cool. I do too. But uh, I have this show to occasionally bring it up again and again. So yeah. <laughs> that'll fill that void. <laughs> yeah, totally. So these things are happening pretty close together. You You join this band, you are fronting this band, the Rocking Horse winner now as vocalist. You have done some backup vocals with Chris and Dashboard Confessional, like, is there is there like a swelling point? Because I remember f- still first hearing those Dashboard records back in the day. And I still remember hearing your voice for the first time and being like, wow, yes, who is this? And then shortly thereafter, you know, we started seeing albums from the Rocking Horse winner. And of course, those are great too. So was, was there like a, a big swelling where you suddenly in the spotlight or something? Like, tell us about that time. Yeah, so... When it started, we recorded, I think, just a few songs, um, and we just kind of self-printed them, I guess you could say, like on CDRs or something, (laughs) and made little covers for them, and we started giving them out um, or sending them out, and I think, um, and then we put out the first album, um, State of Feeling Concentration, and that was put out on my uh, boyfriend at the time, his uh, uh, label, Ohev Records, and then um, after that, we or actually he was my boyfriend before that time, I think. Um, and then after that, we, I think we, we must've sent the first album to equal vision and they liked what they heard and they decided to put out our second album. And I don't even know if we had like demos or anything at that point, actually. Um, they were just listening to the first album and then, yeah, it was just weird how that all happened. Um, you know, I was young and not really like fully 100% paying attention to exactly what was happening because Equal Vision was obviously, you know, doing really well. So um, we just kind of like, it just kind of gets, got swept up in that. And then we started touring and everything. And so I don't know, it was just like, it's, it, it all melts together for me at this point. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's like, so as far far as like a swelling point, it was definitely we were definitely having a lot of fun at that time when everything was coming together. Where are you at with it the whole time? You said you know you weren't even like necessarily comprehending all of it. So are, I mean, are you thinking like, hey, I want to be in a band and and tour and do this for the rest of my life, or are you focused on college? Like, where where are you at with it at the time? If you remember, yeah, at that point, I had already graduated college. Um, mm-hmm. So when Rocking Earth started, I actually graduated. I think the year before that, um, but I still was like, I th- I feel like looking back on it, that I was kind of fighting it a little bit. Like I didn't. Uh, because I don't think I really wanted to be in the spotlight, honestly. I think I was still, you know, self-conscious about myself and about the whole thing. Um, so I don't think I really wanted to be swept up in it <laughs> initially, <laughs> at least. Um, yeah. but I did love, I mean, at that point I, I did have stage fright still, but once, you know, we would go on tour, I would get the bug, 
you know, I would definitely want to be like, I have, you know, I want to play tonight, you know? Um, so I was, but I still feel like there was a part of me that was kind of fighting it, like not ready for it, you know, not really knowing how to, what to do with it, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. How did you deal with it? I mean, did it just take more time and experience and touring and all of that? Yeah, I think so. Totally. It was like, it's almost like this imposter syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like feeling like what, you know, is, is this real? Is this really what should be happening? <laughs> you know, are we really worthy of this, you know, kind of thing. And, um, so it took time to like actually decide that, oh, like I'm in a band and this is what I do now. Like, this is my thing. You know, it was still like, because we were young, we didn't have a a ton of responsibility. So it wasn't like we had to decide between a career and touring (laughs) at that time. So it wasn't like, you know, um, because basically I, I mean, I left college I did, you know, work, but it wasn't like I was pursuing a career. It's like I that all happened and then it was like I put traditional life on hold, I guess you could say. So, but so it wasn't like we had to decide between a career, a family or touring. It was like that was just what we ended up doing. So, we could consider that the career, but for some reason it still didn't feel like it was enough to sustain. Yeah, I don't think it was I don't think it was for most bands of that time, you know, like even bands in my mind that I thought lived off of the band, they they were bands just like everybody else and they had to make ends meet one way or another. Yeah. Like we did have bills, but nothing compared to being, you know, older now, but, no um, <laughs> but we did have, we did have our little bills and, you know, things would happen on tour, like, um, like the drummer jackknifing the trailer into somebody's truck and unfortunately us having to pay for the <laughs> repair. Oh so, no. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. Um, so things like that would happen and it was like, fuck, we only have enough to pay for food and gas to get to the next show, you know? So, you know, real things happen and we did have bills, but it was still like, if I look back on it now, it's like, you know, we could have just kept going probably and sustained and made that a career, you know, possibly if things went well. So how did it go? I mean, you signed with Equal Vision. That's a legendary label. And especially at that time, because there's there's a lot of bands putting out a lot of great material, yourselves included. You have Horizon out in 2002. How was it going? And how was the reception? Because, you know, you're a little different from the other bands. You're not just a, a straight ahead emo band or pop punk band or metalcore band, which those things were very big at the time. Like how, how did it all go over with everybody? Yeah. So I think we got some, you know, good feedback, but we also had the negative feedback, um, because we were like unique on the label. I mean, not that they had never had any female fronted bands on the label before, or that, you know, they didn't have softer music here and there, but at the time we were, I think unique on the label with our sound and our sound was, I guess like it started to become a little more pop than the original, like the original intent, as far as I'm concerned, like with the first album, there was a different, a different sound. Um, so it was like a mixed review, I think, but we did have people that loved the album. Um, and then we had people that would criticize it. So, (laughs) With a, as with anything, you know, so. Yeah, I was just going to say, I guess like any band, you have uh, your detractors and your, your fans. Yeah, 
And, you know, I, I think at the time, maybe we, we took it a little personally, um, more than we should have at times. Um, whereas that my opinion of that has changed as I got older, you know, but it was, yeah. So, I mean, the, the reception I think was good. Um, but we were very hard on ourselves, I think, as far as like trying to get to a certain point where we could just make that our one thing. So I think we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and that's what I think did us in. Yes. In mid-2003, you had a kind of a sudden breakup while on tour, right? Yeah, we had a, a pretty difficult tour. Um, it was, I mean, I don't want to say anything too negative, but it was the, the booking wasn't the best. Um, and we had some difficulties on the tour. And then at the end of it, our the axle on our van broke. And we basically, oh. yeah, it's pretty, pretty traumatic actually riding on that all the way to the next exit. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And then we got there, we had to repair it. And it was like, we were just totally spent at that point. And I think that's what did it. And there was some like tension in the band because of writing um, dispute, basically that, you know, in retrospect, we were kids, you know, so. Yeah. So it's like silly bickering and stuff like that at this point <laughs> but um is it like over style or what direction to go or that type of thing yeah it was some of that and like you know some of the writing like you know the guys wanted me to some of the guys wanted me to write more and of the lyrics and stuff like that but the guitar player wanted some more control over that um at the time and there so that was one of the kind of disputes um, and we were all, you know, just as a side note, we we're all friends now. It's not, you know, anything that like damaged the relationship or anything now. Um, but it, there was just, you know, I think it was just a combination of a lot of things and a lot of pressure we were putting on ourselves to succeed. And so we were on that tour that happened and it was basically a very quiet ride home after that. <laughs> a quiet <laughs> rush home. Um, and then we actually had South by Southwest booked um, an EVR showcase and we didn't want to do it, but we kind of felt like we had to, and I can't remember if, you know, EVR, I think they just asked us, you know, please at least do the showcase. Could be, they may have thought maybe that we could just put our differences aside and make it work, you know, but we went there, we flew there to South by Southwest. We were exhausted and we played this show and I think I remember reading somebody wrote about us that they could tell that we were off. Like they could tell that it wasn't working. Uh. And yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess we didn't hide it well either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that basically was what happened. And then it was like, after that, yeah, we can't, we can't do this. It's just too much. We're not making it work anymore. If I feel off and then I read an article about how I'm off, that that's going to that's going to really take it to heart. <laughs> yeah. And it was, there was also like a local article about us breaking up and like how there was tension and stuff like that. And that was like kind of aired out in public here, down here. And by, a, and by a reporter that used to write like really cool things about us and always, you know, would put, had like a feature on the band and all this stuff before we even were on EVR. So that was kind of disappointing also. And so it was just a combination. I th and, you know, I think it was really just, you know, creative differences slightly and then mixed with a lot of pressure on ourselves because we were young and trying to see what we were going to do with this band, you know? 
Yeah, it's a lot of pressure to put on young kids in a band. You essentially have to run this business by yourselves on the road and make it work with no adult coping skills, no adult uh, paychecks to help get through axle breaks and all the other stuff that comes up. It's uh, it's no wonder that a lot of these bands just that these types of things happened. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's a little business. And if you're not, um, if you don't have a manager, which we didn't really have one, we had a guy that was helping us, but he was mostly speaking with the guitar player at the time. And he wasn't like a full on manager. So without like any kind of direction from, you know, somebody that was more experienced or knew that the business aspect of things, we were like basically on our own. So, <laughs> so like, I can't imagine, I mean, I have, you know, a, I have nieces that are probably around the age that I was then. And it's like, wow. I mean, I can't imagine them doing what we did <laughs> back then. Yeah. So yeah, totally. So the band breaks up and we know it's a long time until the Darling Fire gets started. That's around 2016, right? The seeds began probably around 2017, late and into 2018. What did you do after Rocking Horse Winter? Did you want to be done with music? Did you just move on and not think about it again? Like, tell us about some of your life between the bands. Yeah, so I did do some things. Um, I, not maybe not too long after Rocking Horse broke up, I ended up being kind of like introduced to these guys in Miami and we put together, or they had already started a project and they had some songs written. And it was more on the, like, more in the vein of like New Order, I guess you could say. Like that was their one of the bands that they loved at the time. So it was kind of like that style, which was different than Rocking Horse. Um, and I did that with them for a while and we played some shows, but it wasn't like a full on full time thing like I had been doing. Um, but I did write, you know, some of the vocals for that. And that's what I did for a little while. And that kind of like, you know, stopped. And then, um, I think at one point I was asked to sing with Al City and he reached out to me before he really blew up. Um, and I sang, I recorded a couple of things with um, one of the guys in that project that I was doing. And he used, instead of using those because he had another singer that had also recorded those, the parts, um, he kind of put together like a, a part of my vocal onto one of the songs <laughs> Which was cool anyway, you know, whatever. Um, and then uh, after that, it was like I just ended up doing things with friends locally and um, doing like backup parts and stuff like that. And um, But I wasn't like pursuing a full-time thing. Again, for whatever reason. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why. Uh, again, I was like, it was almost like I was fighting it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't know. In retrospect, it's almost like I was floating through all that time, not really like focusing on doing it, you know, but I knew, but I, deep down, I did want to do it. You know, I did want to. And then I just kind of got like frustrated because I wanted to be able to write music myself and mm -hmm. not have to wait for somebody to write something for me to sing on. And I hadn't really done like I hadn't been a front woman for a long time at that point. And that's when this whole thing happened. And when this started, um, you know, we had like a really difficult time 
uh, my husband and I. And then it's kind of like set the stage for this to start, I guess. In the, the Darling Fire, that is. Yeah, totally. So what did you guys go through that kind of uh, birthed this band? Yeah, so it's funny you should use that word, actually. <laughs> um, I So we basically, we had uh, four dogs at the time, actually, four chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. And one of our dogs in 2017 passed away, and he was our oldest. And he had heart failure, and he his body was, like, rejecting the medication. So at one point, we just knew that it was not working. And unfortunately, he had, like, an event, and we had to put him down. And after that, yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, And then after that, like two weeks later, I found out that I was actually pregnant. And yeah, which was like this moment, like, wow, we just went through this, um, this incredibly painful thing. And now this is happening. And that's weird. Okay. And it was not planned, not expected. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I found out later you know, months after accepting that this was the direction our life was going, I found out that I had had a missed miscarriage. Oh no. Yeah. So it was like, wow, what is happening? (laughs) We're getting pulled in all these directions. Of course, you know, too painful, then exciting, then painful again. It was like a big roller coaster. Um, and just totally strange time. And, then basically I was like, we were like, what are we doing in life? What is happening? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so basically, I mean, I, that's when I got frustrated and I was like, I really want to do something, you know, I need to do something creative. I need to do something to get my mind off of all this stuff. So I decided I wanted to learn how to play guitar finally. And again, for whatever reason, never tried to do that, never pursued that at all even though I would, my dad actually played guitar when he was younger also. And so, you know, my husband knew somebody and I actually knew him also. And he's an awesome guitar player and a shredder totally. And um, he was like, well, maybe he'll teach you. And that was Mike and that he's now our guitar player actually. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, he started teaching me guitar and he would come over and we would, you know, he would teach me and I would, uh, give, I would make him dinner <laughs> and we had this like really cool thing going. And then, you know, my husband, like, I think actually he wanted to play, he wanted to start to get back into playing bass because he played bass for Rocking Horse Winter. So, um, once, you know, I started learning guitar and everything, then he was like, well, maybe I need to do that again. Like he had done that when he was really young and that's like one thing just led to another. And we were like, we took the frustration and anger and sadness and everything from what had happened to us and put that all into channeled it all into the music. And that's, I guess that's what life does <laughs> to you. You know, that's where creativity comes from. Yeah. Well, first let me say, you know, sorry for the losses. I mean, that's, uh, that that's just got to be unbelievable to get through, but you know, these things happen in life. And th- these are how the greatest stories happen. I mean, look, like your whole life, you're kind of drifting and you're in these bands and it sounds like you don't have a full grasp of it, but you take control. You're like, I don't want to wait for people to give me music. I want to write the music. And now you're taking all of this inspiration. You're taking the initiative and it becomes this 
great thing. Yeah. I mean, it basically like jolted me to the point where I was like, I need to really like pay attention. I feel like I'm just like a ghost floating around this place. <laughs> like, what am I doing? You know? And just that whole thing and like getting into music and really being able to like, for the first time ever, like really be the, the vocalist and like write all of my own words and, and melodies, like everything was mine you know, and my husband. And for, and the thing is like, neither of us, even though we, we've been together this whole time, we never wrote together, just us, you know? So it was like, what can we create ourselves? You know, why are we waiting for other people? What, why don't we try to do something? And we have plenty of shit to write about now. So, you know, so that's basically like how that all happened. So yeah. I mean, I, that's why it's like, it's a bittersweet thing. Cause of course, you know, I, it's still very sad and painful, but at the same time, like, if not for all that shit that I went through, like, I mean, in a way like this is now my child. Yeah. Plus, you know, you never know what's going to happen now. And now I'm not saying that you're still trying to have a kid or that's going to happen. I don't know the full backstory, but th- what gives me peace is one is like a- acceptance, like uh the bad things happen. I just have to slog through them and I know that everything's going to be okay. When I try to fight or change fate or when I when I'm trying to wiggle my way out of something, I find that's when I get into the most trouble. That's one thing. And number two, like yes, creative pursuits, that's where it's at. And much like you, you know, when I finally took control, when I wasn't just like trying to get into any pre-existing band and be part of it and then it breaks up and then I'm sad, when I finally learned how to create things on my own that were my voice, that were for me, that is when I felt truly fulfilled and like, no, this is me. This is what I'm doing. I'm I'm not just a piece of this thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, and I could, like, I had never quite like given myself to the music either. Like, mm-hmm. this was the first time that I really like wrote from the heart and like everything was authentically me. You know, and, um, and totally, I mean, it's like, I guess like an icy road, you have to, you're supposed to like turn into it, (laughs) turn into it instead of like fighting it. Well, it's the same thing. It's like when you just give into it and like, okay, instead of fighting this and being like completely depressed and like, just go into a cave, why don't I either use this or like try to figure out what does this mean? Like, why is this happening? You know? And I guess that comes with age also. It's like, instead of like, why, why me? Why me? You know, instead you're like, this is happening for some reason. So what is it? (laughs) You know? And I guess for me, the reason was because I was just not like myself at all until recently, you know, like I was just not really, I was, it was kind of like a, a shade of myself for a long time. And not really like taking control over this because I had to, you know? When you say you weren't yourself, what kind of things were you going through? Was it depression? Were you just withdrawn? Like, what was it? No, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like I feel like I was more of an observer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I wasn't really like thinking like, well, I could be that doing that. You know, it was like, what can other people create? And then I can add to it. You know, it wasn't like, well, I can create that instead myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. More of like almost observing life instead of really like completely like taking control of it, you know? I totally get what you're saying because my mindset always used to be, hey, this band is great. They need to like swoop down 
and adopt me into their <laughs> pre-existing great situation. I never thought like, hey, you can create awesome stuff. And now it's the complete opposite. I'm like, hey, if I'm not making it, I don't want to do it. Yeah, because it's weird. I, I mean, yeah, it's weird. Like I couldn't, um, like I, I'm not saying I'll never, you know, uh, work on something that somebody else has done or anything like that again. That's not the thing. The thing is that like, I had to like really take control over it and write from my own experiences and really give all of myself to it for it to be authentic. And I feel like be, for that reason, like you can hear that it's authentic. So I think that's like, it's really important to not just like, there's no facade, you know, it's like, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's just like really, you know, giving all of yourself to it. And that's the only way that it really works, you know, and I definitely didn't do that before. And that's probably why it didn't work. I, I get what you're saying. And, you know, going through your discography and just listening to the evolution. And then we come to the Darling Fire, the first single that was out that I heard, it was Machina. And when I heard this, I was like, whoa, whoa, this is like the fully formed vision of you and your band. Like, this is, wow. Cool. Yeah, like, you know, with the first album, we were still kind of finding our sound. And I mean, even earlier than that, the first songs, like, we still listen to them every once in a while to see what, like, where it developed from, because I remember all of it. <laughs> so um, just, like, hearing the very first thing that we wrote together and, like, how how far it's come since then and, like, how much more we've learned about recording ourselves, about, you know, getting the sound that we want and, and, you know, even my lyric writing has improved. Like I've just really experimented a lot with my voice and everything for this album. So, yeah, I mean, this is definitely where I want to be with, with the music. Totally. Yes. And I want to dig into the new album a little more, but we also have to mention the first album Dark Celebration, the 2019 album, also great. And you recorded that one with Jay Robbins, right? Yes, we recorded that with Jay Robbins and he was awesome to work with. Super cool guy. And, um, you know, we wanted to kind of like get this heavy sound, but we still, we were still developing it. Like we still didn't know what we were doing <laughs> with the music. So, um, but that was a lot of fun to go there. It was a, it was a huge rush because we had to, we recorded everything in five days. So um, we actually had, I think at least two other songs that we were thinking of recording that we didn't, but it was definitely good to like do that again. You know, it had, that was the first time in so long that I had recorded um, a, an album of, with, you know, being a front person. So it was definitely weird to do that. And then to do that with somebody like Jay Robbins was crazy. <laughs> so Yeah, legendary. I would have been very excited, but also very scared. Yes, I was completely. <laughs> Both, <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was, you know, very cold when we went up there also. Speaking of cold, <laughs> like we were before. <laughs> um, so, I mean, half the time I was freezing my ass off in the studio and then I would go into the vocal booth and there would be a, a space heater that he put in there. Um, but I was completely nervous. And then by, you know, a little bit into it, I loosened up and definitely um, was able to enjoy it, you know, totally. So 
but it was really cool to work with him. Definitely. When you're working with him, is he producing too? Is it to the level where he's like, Hey, try this or Hey, do that. Or is it more just recording what you guys are doing? Um, he more, he recorded rather than producing more, uh, you know, yeah. he doesn't do the production as much, but he did, um, sometimes give opinions. Like if, a, if a note didn't go together quite as well as it should, he would say like, Hey, why don't you try this? And he had this little like keyboard thing, I think, that he would like try to work it out with us, like what note should go together. So that, and then also he he gave me this really cool idea for a backup part, but unfortunately it's a little bit buried in one of the songs in Omaha in the end. Um, and that's like one of our, fa- all of us, I think we agree that was one of our favorite little parts like but it got it gets buried in there you can't really hear it but it's really cool like crossover backing vocal that he thought of so he did add little things that uh we loved um but he wasn't like do that again this is better you know but he would he would basically have you do like some takes and then he would put together like the greatest hits basically of everything i love that yeah, any intervention from Jay Robbins, I'd be like, that's the guy from Burning Airlines. He's yeah. he's helping my band. This is cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was probably more critical of myself doing vocals. Like, I can do that better, I would say. And then I would do it again, you know, because I knew that I could do something better. Um, and I was used to working with James Wisner back with Rocking Horse, and he would have us do like a million takes <laughs> of things. <laughs> Um, so I was used to that and Jay Robbins didn't do that. He wanted to get it, you know, he want, I think he wanted a little more raw, you know, and I love that. And I love that though. Um, so yeah, but every time I would come in from recording vocals, he would give me uh, horns and say like, great job or whatever, you know? So that was awesome. It was really cool to, it was definitely a unique experience. So how did you hook up with iodine? Yeah. So one day, uh, Casey things started following us. I don't know if it was Darling Fire or just Rocking Horse Winter uh, on Instagram. And that's how that all started. It's like he started following us and I was like, oh, check out. And we were, we were still, we were kind of like in the process of writing um, a new album. And, w- you know, we weren't sure what to do with it yet, but we were open to another label. And so Casey like reached out or he, he started following us on Instagram and, you know, I showed Geronimo and I was like, look, check out this label. And the funny thing also is that actually there are two funny things with that. And I don't know if I even told Casey this or not, but I think may have, you know, like we wrote this other song that we didn't end up using, but it had the word iodine in it, which is like, what are the chances, you know? (laughs) And it's because it was like a reference to when I was a kid, I used to get, I would get like a splinter because my parents were carpenters. My dad was a carpenter. So I would, we would go to the job sites and I would get a splinter and he would pull it out with his knife, which is like, I can't, I cringe still thinking about that. And then uh, he would put iodine on it after that. And that's what that was in the song. It was a reference to that, something from my childhood. And so when Casey started following us and I saw, oh, you know, weird, I use that in that song, you know, and Geronimo was like, why don't you, and then the other thing was the, was the space, the astronaut, you know, there was a joke because I think I was explaining the meaning of one of the songs on the last album 
And I said the word spaceman, and then I never heard the end of it from Jay Robbins made fun of me and all of the guys made fun of me for saying that. <laughs> but that's what Casey calls his shirt, the spaceman shirt, you know, the logo or whatever. It's almost like fate. It is. So it's so weird. <laughs> and so that happened and John was like, well, why don't you reach out to him and see if he would be interested in releasing the album and, you know, send him the old album. And and that's when Casey was like, well, I don't know if you remember me, but I actually met you guys when you guys were in Rock Air Winter because I was working with EVR or whatever at the time. And he was actually at a showcase that we did for EVR at CBGB's. And uh, so, you know, I was like, well, awesome. You know, do you want to, do you want to hear what we're doing? You know, and I, I, I think we sent him a couple demos maybe or something at the time, but I'm not sure which songs it would have been because it's kept developing after that. But he was like, well, I'm not really looking for, you know, to release any new bands right now that are looking to like do things like tour and stuff like that. I mostly do re-releases. And I was like, well, do you want to hear what we have and see, you know, what you think? And he was like, sure, send it over. So we sent it. And after that, he was like, I think I want to put this out. <laughs> <laughs> so I might change my mind about that. So that's how that developed. And then just over time, like we were talking and it, and it got to this point now and, and he's been awesome to work with. He's been awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That's funny. You know, it's funny. All roads lead to Instagram. I think that's how I met Casey too. That's how I book my show. When I reach out to bands, that's it's, it's a very useful tool. It is for sure. And, uh, it was funny back uh, when this podcast was called the Northeast scene before we got involved with iodine, I had Casey on and he said he was only doing re-releases of past iodine stuff. And then I saw that he signed a band. It may have even been Darling Fire. I can't remember, but you know, I hadn't talked to him since he'd been on the show, really. And I saw that he signed a new band, and I was like, wait, wait, he's doing it. He's back. Yeah, I don't think he announced us first, but we were definitely the first ones to get him to do it, apparently. That's, you know, so he said. So, you know, and then it just obviously it worked out for him, too. I mean, it's been awesome uh, seeing him bring new bands in. It's been really exciting. Big time. It's a, I love, I really love the label and just all the bands on it, everything that it's doing. I think, I just think it's a, a great collection of bands, good taste, good presentation. I think it has everything. Yeah, totally. And he, you know, he has a certain aesthetic that he likes and it totally, you know, goes with what we're doing as well. So it works really well together. A hundred percent. So you and the band must be excited. We've got, distortions coming out september 16th right yep yeah we're we can't wait for all the songs to be out there and to see what people think you know good and bad and <laughs> but yeah we're totally excited to finally be able to let everybody hear everything it's been a long time coming and we've got a number of singles out there everybody so make sure you look up the darling fire on your streaming platform of choice and check out what's out there I mean, have you gotten any negative reception? I can't imagine. Um, not really, but we did have a <laughs> we did have a funny <laughs> comment. <laughs> we did have a funny comment on our first video that we posted because apparently somebody was led to that from an article in Revolver, I think. And, you know, clearly that those songs are pretty different from the new ones. Um, so they wrote like vocals and lyrics blow or something like that. 
And I actually, <laughs> and I actually laughed out loud. Like, I think that's actually hilarious. Yeah. I actually think that's hilarious. So, um, I, you know, and that's, that's what I was getting at before is like my, my mentality about it has changed. Like, I think in the beginning I was like cringing at the potential of negative shit again, because I went through that with rocking or sometimes like, you know, just like, you know, sometimes personal attacks from people that don't know you and stuff like that and whatever, um, that happens to everybody. Um, but I decided that I don't give a shit anymore. You know, at this point I'm, I can't care about that. And if people are going to be negative, they may have their own things going on, you know, or you can't please everybody, you know, it's just the way it is. So, um, I don't like everything that's out there. So, but I also don't go online to berate people either. So, <laughs> so it's just the way that the internet is, you know, you get the good and the bad and it's all out there and it's fine. I, I don't care. Yeah. You just have to ignore it. Uh, if it's hurtful and weird or just laugh at it in the case of this guy who said vocals and lyrics blow. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> it actually made me laugh. I actually think it's hilarious. Um, I That I is funny just because it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's okay. I, you know, I'm not going to please everybody. And I know that, you know, it's going to be like that. That's just the way it is. And in fact, you know what? I'm flattered that somebody took the time, took the time to listen yeah. to it and then to make that opinion and that observation. So they clearly, uh, did listen to it, which is thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it is tougher for women in music too, because, you know, and I had this conversation with, uh, another guest in an upcoming show and it's just, you know, there's unfair standards. You're judged uh, on the basis of your looks in some cases because it's men writing the articles and and that type of thing. And, you know, men aren't subject to that type of criticism. You know, no one's going to write like, well, Geronimo wasn't very hot in the video, so we don't like it. So there, there's that whole level of stupidity to deal with as well. Yeah, and that's fine. I know I expect that, and I've already prepared myself for all of that. So um, I it won't get through to me, honestly, you know, I've already decided that I, you know, these things, of course, like you're going to read something and be like, well, that, you know, I just want to tell that person, like, uh, did you really think that? And why do you think, and I understand, you know, but you're not going to, it's people go on the internet to vent and they go on the internet to, um, if they're really passionate about something, like they really hate it or they really love it, then they'll write something. So, but honestly, like to even, they gave us a, a view on the video. So thank you for that. <laughs> exactly. And that's going to happen. You know, I expect it. I expect it. It comes with, and you know, and again, it's like flattering because they even took the time to watch something or listen to it. Fine. You know, it's going to be like that no matter what. It is. And like you mentioned, it really is just more about the person dealing with their own personal bullshit than anything with you. Because I used to be a hater. I, I just used to say, like, everything sucks if it wasn't the same four bands I listened to. You know, I was like that type of person online. And I was just really unhappy. I was really unhappy. And I was closed off to anything but the very small circle of things I listened to. And I'm so glad I'm not like that anymore. And, you know, I can just 
I think it's irresponsible actually to go out of your way to post online that you don't like something. Like I just don't say anything, you know, I'm, I'm polite about it. I think that's the way to go. But kids are kids. The internet is the internet and people are going to say stupid things. Yeah. And, and like you're explaining right now, actually, you are looking back on it and thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that or whatever. I'm sure at some point they may do the same thing but they don't get to go back and say, I'm sorry, I said this, I was in a bad place or, you know, anything like that. So I think it's just the way that things are. And, you know, people don't usually go back and say, well, I, you know, I thought about this and maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, they don't get to go back and take that away. It's on the internet forever. So there's that whole element also, you know, so there, there could be a number of reasons why somebody says something and they could just simply not like it. And, and we're not going to please everybody. You know, of course, and I don't expect to. If we please everybody, then there's something wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's then life is boring. You know exactly. Well, you're playing Furnace Fest this year too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for that. Um, That should be awesome. That's going to be crazy. I mean, I've seen the videos. I've seen. (laughs) I've seen how many people are going to be there, and that's going to be insane. And I can't wait. Me either. Have you ever been to that fest before? I've never been. Um, we were supposed to play last year and, um, one of our members got sick and, um, so we couldn't do it, but luckily we were able to play this year and I've never been, but I've seen plenty of footage of it and it looks like a ton of fun. It is. You're going to love it. I'm looking forward to seeing you. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to, and also I can't wait to play with all of those bands that are playing and we have friends that are playing that we haven't seen in a long time. So it's going to be a total blast, I'm sure. Absolutely. So let's make sure that we cover everything. Now, number one, we've got Distortions releasing on September 16th, right? Yep. So we want to go pick up records. We want to go pick up shirts. We want to go pick up everything we can. Yes? Yes, we'll have merch there. We'll have, um, we're supposed to have vinyl for the album. The album will be out by then. Um, we're going to have CDs. I think there are going to be some other surprise things that are going to be there that I don't know if I can mention yet. And um, and we'll definitely have shirts and things like that. And we've got the Furnace Fest performance, of course. What day are you playing? We are playing on the Friday. And we're actually also playing the night before um, at Trim Tab Brewing for, their, for a pre-show. Oh, nice. So to our listeners, make sure you check out one or both of those gigs. If you're down there, you have to. Yeah, totally. And come and say hello also. Yes, yes. And what else do you have coming up? Is there anything else coming up that we can announce? Sure, we're playing um, Fest, actually. And the day after that, we're playing a show with Nathan Gray in uh, Orlando at Will's Pub as well. So we have we have some shows coming up. We're also playing a release show on the 17th of September, the day after the album comes out. Where's that going to be? That's going to be at Haven in Orlando also. And then after that, I mean, we have a few things in the works that are probably going to be for either the end of the year or ne- like sometime next year. And it's a little bit up in the air right now, but we definitely plan to tour for the album and we're looking forward to getting out of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I hope that you do because you know what? No one should be subject to that heat. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's too much. Maybe the next album could be about Florida and just like dealing with living in Florida and getting out of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> melting <laughs> melting in Florida. 
and uh, and missing the season changes and and having one foot out the door at all times. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jolie, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic, and you know I've been listening to you for a long time now, so I'm really happy that uh, you came on the show and gave me the time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome talking to you as well. And there you have it, Jolie Lindholm. Really, really good conversation. Very happy to talk to Jolie. I've been hearing her for years, years. I remember hearing her for the first time as a guest vocalist on the early Dashboard albums. I remember hearing Rocking Horse Winter back in the day, and I really liked that band. And she's just got a great story. She's got a great story. It was funny hearing about how she kind of got into music on accident. And, you know, it wasn't like she was setting out to do it. She was almost pushed into it. And then finally, fully realizing her artistic vision now in The Darling Fire. And, you know, she just shared uh, what she went through in her life that brought her and her husband closer together and the inspiration for the latest album. And just all of that stuff was really inspiring to hear. You know, I love that story because that's my story. You know, using the pain and getting through it and using art as the inspiration to get through what you're going through. It's it's what keeps me alive. I'm happy to hear that it helped her and her husband. Really fantastic conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely identified with um, music kind of becoming the salve and also the altar that you kneel at. You're kind yeah. of mercy to, to heal you, but also it, it definitely does heal you. And I, I did love that. Yeah. Yeah, she's done a lot over the years, and she's still doing it. I'm glad that she's still doing it, too, because I wonder about bands when I don't hear from them, and you know, when you don't hear from them for a while, and Rocking Horse Winter is one of those bands I would wonder about. I was like, she had one of the best voices I've ever heard. Like, where is she? What is she doing? I mean, honestly, I did not hear her previous band, but I definitely um, did check out The Darling Fire, and I, I really enjoyed it. She does have a very beautiful voice. Um, and honestly, I was pretty surprised by the um, the music also. Yeah, this album is great. Uh, Machina has been my favorite song so far. When I heard the chorus for the first time, I got chills. And I was like, yes, that's how you know this is good. I mean, that's kind of what we're all going for, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Jolie, for coming on the show. Excellent conversation. You were awesome. Looking forward to seeing the band at Furnace Fest. Now, Tara. Let's talk about our favorite subject, us. We have to talk about what's going on with us, and I want to start with you. Now, it's been a long time since we've spoken. A lot has happened. Catch us up. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, The band just, uh, we actually got together this last spring and re-recorded On Floating and released uh, that entire EP in Excelsis that On Floating is on, on vinyl through post-recordings. So we have that going for us, which is pretty cool. Uh, the re-recording we're really proud of. We recorded with our, our, our buddy, uh, Jeremy Stuckel, and he did just a fantastic job just helping us just tweak a few things here or there. And, and the song is, is still the same song, but I, I, I actually like the, the second version better. Um, and this week we are getting ready to rehearse and then uh, perform at uh, post festival in Indianapolis on Saturday this weekend. 
So we're pretty excited. That is a stacked festival. We've got Boris. We've got Pelican. We've got Junius. We've got Glassing. We've got nothing. And of course, the end of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually really surprised at how many of those bands we've already played with before, <laughs> whether in a festival setting or um, here in our hometown in Columbus. So that's pretty exciting. We're, we're really stoked. Have you played any shows since things have started to open back up? No, this is actually our first show since 2019 when we um, ended the tour um, with Oh Brother and Soam and Holy Fawn. What was the last date of that tour? Uh, boy, that would have been in, uh, I want to say one of the, it was one of the Carolinas. It was a really strange venue. Um, ton of fun. That was also like, I think a 10 hour drive in all for us to, to get back to Columbus. So we, we had a great time with the Oh Brother dudes and, and Holy Fawn and Soam loaded up the van. And I think it was around like 1230 or one in the morning. We just pulled on out and drove back to Columbus. So that was, that was my last memory of that night, actually which is pretty funny. You haven't played a gig in three years. Pretty much, yeah. That is wild. Yeah. So this is going to be an amazing first gig back for you and the band. Yeah, I mean, it might be the first gig that I've ever puked before a set. So, you know, we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> so we were talking a bit before we hit record. You get nervous before everything, just like I do, it sounds like. Absolutely. <laughs> I have anxiety before everything. Things I want to do, things I don't want to do. Uh, right up until I'm doing the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I feel. I mean, I, the the guys joke in the band like before every set, they're like, "Does Tara have to go to the bathroom?" <laughs> like, <laughs> right before, right before we start playing, I'm like, "Ha ha, very funny." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw you on that Oh Brother tour, and that was easily top three performances. I saw that year, end of the ocean at that show. Yeah, which I still can't believe because I, you know, I I think I like very scattered in a very scattered way talked about how New York and and Chicago when we were doing that interview are are cursed cities. So uh, New York was was not super bad, but we definitely got off the stage and I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> I was surprised to hear that because you said uh, you play the Rocky sample when you need to like rally everyone together when things aren't going well, correct? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, that, that's all like kind of an individual experience though. Like I sit there and I kind of, kind of clench my fists until it hurts. And I don't know what the other guys do, but I know what I do. <laughs> and that's what I do. <laughs> um, but it also, you know, like kind of puts things in perspective. Life is small. Life is huge. Just fucking do it. I like that. I like that. But I'm surprised to hear that what went wrong with the set in your estimation, because listen, I play, I can pick out when things go wrong. And I just remember seeing that set and being like, wow, this is amazing. Um, Boy, I mean, it's been quite a bit of time. I I almost want to say my 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 software or like something with a computer went wrong. And that might have been a different set. But sometimes we just load in and the vibe is just a little bit off and and for some reason that just kind of messes with us. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is about New York <laughs> or Chicago, but I mean, if, if nobody else noticed that and that that's us being very critical, hypercritical, so we can let it go. <laughs> no, um, I but, gotcha. you know, right when you hop on the stage, it's like, man, I fucked that up. And it's like, all right, well shut the fuck up. It was fine. No one even knew. <laughs> so. That's what you have to do. You know, I used to like apologize after sets I played and like do a breakdown of everything I thought I did wrong. And I realized I just have to shut up and be like, you know, people say great set and I say, thanks. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think 
early on when we were a very young band, I, I was doing the the stupid like self critiquing and like verbalizing it after a set. And um, a friend pulled me aside and they're like, Hey, shut up. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> they're like, you did fine. No one noticed. Now go have fun. And I did. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all you can do. You just do your very best in the moment. And that that's, that's really all it is. That's it. That's it. So you've got this amazing gig coming up. What else is coming up now? Can we expect more new music in the future? You hit us with the unbelievable modern classic air that came out on equal vision. I think, uh, wait, I guess three years ago now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. So what else is coming up? Can we reveal anything? Um, nothing specific, but we are going to start writing again. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't take us seven years. (laughs) I kid. (laughs) I kid. I mean, if it does, you know, it's going to be like really good. Well, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) And how are you doing? How are you doing personally, Tara? You know, I'm doing pretty good working from home and I'm just trying to stand very still right now. I, I think that's something that everyone should try every once in a while. Just be still. Yeah, I'm doing that now. I've gotten a bit overwhelmed lately with everything going on with the podcast and life and everything. So I'm cutting back. I just feel off this week. So I'm canceling everything that I can. And I don't feel motivated to do anything. I'm just kind of laying in bed. And I'm like, hey, this is the way it has to be until these feelings pass, whatever they are. So I'm taking the time to just unwind and be okay, however long it takes. And then I'll slowly ease myself back into the grind when I'm ready. But Everything is good. I uh, I like my job. I like the department I'm working for. I get to work from home. I'm pretty much on my own schedule. It's nice and relaxed. Uh, the podcast is doing great. There's been a lot of movement there since the last time we talked. So I'm yeah. feeling good. I'm enjoying it. Hell yeah, dude. How's how's New York? It's awesome. I uh, I'm like most of the stuff that I do is back in person now. So I, I I'm going to shows again. Uh, I'm back out hanging with friends. Things are very back to normal. It feels more back to normal than it has since uh, before the pandemic. So that's an adjustment too, but I'm feeling good. That's amazing. Plus, this is the best time of year right now. End of summer. I hate really hot weather. We're getting into September, October, my favorite time of year. Oh, same here, dude. My blood is not meant for heat at all. I'm from from Seattle. I am not made for this. So, (laughs) Wow. So how did you end up in, where are you, in Michigan? No, I'm in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, that's right. Wait, yeah. you're in Ohio, and the other gu- one of the guitar players is in Detroit, yeah, right? Tr- yeah, Trish is in Detroit, which I don't know weather-wise if that's any better than Columbus, Ohio. So, <laughs> How did you end up in Ohio? Uh, well, my, my ex, who was the uh, ex-bassist for our band, actually is from here. So I, I moved out here, and I just never really left. So, Gotcha. Yeah. That's that's what I'm doing here. I'm I'm in New York City by way of Philadelphia, but I don't anticipate myself leaving anytime soon. Well, I mean, New York is a great city, so I don't blame you. It is. Well, that's it. We're out of time. We are out of time. But Tara, I want to thank you for uh, jumping on this episode. You know, I really like the work that you and the band do. So uh, thank you. Dude, my pleasure. And thank you. Absolutely. Good luck at the gig this weekend. And uh, to our wonderful listeners, I'm back next week. I'm back every week, sometimes two times a week, but I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So make sure you tune in. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And 
Until next time. 